to the Contracting Officer Podcast. If you're in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand how the other side thinks. Our mission, to make government contracts better, one contract at a time. Today's episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition Solutions. Skyway helps you know more, do more, and win more in the government contracts world. To learn more, visit skywayacquisition.com. Today we tackle novations, a topic that always seems to cause confusion. Let's get started. Novations and name change agreements are often confused. I know every time it comes up, people say, are you going to novate that? Is that a novation? No, it's just a name change. So what does all that mean, Kevin? (laughs) So in in short, companies, government contractors are acquired or or they restructure and, and, and the structure of them changes, right? And so when this happens... The contracts that they have with the government need to be modified to account for this and make sure that's the proper legal entity, is the quote. And that process is called novation. It's in FAR Part 42.12, and it describes the requirements and, and for this legal execution that's called either a novation or a name change agreement. Depending on. So, first, let me describe novations. A novation is where the government recognizes a successor in the interests to a government contract. So a third party is recognized as taking over all of the uh, assets and liabilities of another company. And it's usually through a purchase or a merger. And it's not guaranteed that the government will recognize a third party's interests. It's usually recognized, but it's not a given. There are cases where the government could choose not to recognize that. And if you just bought another company (laughs) because of its contracts, you could be out of luck. A contracting officer, whether it's a PCO or an ACO, has to actually do this, bless this thing by issuing a modification. The way it works, contractor submits a request to the CO with a whole bunch of information that describes what's happening with the, the transaction between the companies, All describes all the contracts that are impacted by it, and provides evidence of the new company's ability to perform on these contracts. As, as well as any other relevant information requested by their responsible CO. And the reason for that is that the CO has got to evaluate this this decision to novate. It's their call. So, again, most of the time they do approve it. But that that's a, you're, you're making the case. You're, you're pitching to the contracting officer, hey, I want to change the structure of my company. I need you to approve it. Right. And behind the scenes, the CO is going to go to all the, the contract administration offices that have to deal with these contracts and ask if there's any objections to it. This stuff, it's supposed to happen, the the FAR actually says should uh, happen within 30 days after notification, but it can be really complicated, so it might take longer than 30 days. But the contracting officer has to determine whether or not it's in the government's interest to, to recognize the successor in interest to the contract here based on the comments received from the other contracting officers that are impacted by it, based on a responsibility determination. So they go back and they do, just like a new contract award, they look, is the is the new company a responsible contractor? That's FAR, what, 9.1, Kevin? Yes, sir. And they also look at anything else that could possibly impact the, the successor's ability to, to deliver what they bought. And think of this like the 80% process, is that there is a process to be able to say, 
I, as a contracting officer, know that this company is going to novate. They're going to be, they're being bought. Here's how it's going to impact me. I talked to all these other contracting officers, gave them their chance to chime in whether or not it's a good idea. Then I'm going to assess, yes, this is okay. Here are the next steps to make it happen. And to simplify it, it's an as-is purchase. So you're getting the good parts of this and the bad parts of this, which we'll talk about later. But the, that's the decision the contracting officer is going to make. So you know, lawyers are going to chime in, and, and, the, and the CEO is supposed to evaluate what else? OCI, <laughs> whether or not there's a conflict of interest, and how to resolve it. And, to all, and that's through FAR 9.5. But all that stuff's got to happen in order to be able to do innovation. And this is not limited to the government world, by the way. I would argue that when industry is involved, and in the non-government world even, when one company buys another, that there is a lot more scrutiny put on how these agreements are worked out. I, I think industry is probably better at, at dealing with this than the government is, but there's a lot more at stake. That's an interesting point, is that if you're, let's, let, let me make a random example here. If, if my lawn service guy is bought by somebody else, He's not going to come to me and say, hey, are you okay if, if this company buys me? It's not going to happen in the commercial side. But in the government side, that's exactly what's happening, is that I'm the person that has the contract with this lawn service guy. If he's going to be innovated because he's bought, he's sold his business to some other giant lawn service conglomerate, technically he's got to go through this process. So, yeah. the so, But on the scale that you're talking about, it doesn't happen. But on a bigger scale, it does. I mean, virtually every contract between businesses has some type of clauses or prohibitions on transferring the contract from one to another without some type of approval. So it could get quite messy, but the, you know, this is a real legal thing that uh, the reason I said it could have a lot more impact on the industry side is the government's not going to necessarily go out of business. If there's w one bad contract that's transferred, you know, a, a mission might suffer, but it, when, when it's two companies involved in the, in the non-government world, a company could literally go out of business, go bankrupt if the contract they had with a the company is replaced by another company and it goes bad. So, so the end goal of the innovation is to balance between, okay, we understand, we the government understand there's a dynamic business environment. We're going to have contract performance that may be impacted by these companies being bought or sold, but at the same time, we have to protect the government's interests. So that's really what this thing is designed to do. Right. Let me describe name change a little bit now. So the name change is just what it sounds like. There's no legal change to the company. It's just decided to call itself something else. The process is still kind of the, the same, a, a block mod or, or the contracting officer has to sign a modification to change the name. And it could trickle down to the banking information or other parts of the contract, you know, how you get paid if the name's different. You don't want your check or your electronic payment uh, sent to the wrong name, but it's still, it, the FAR tells you how to do it. This is, name change is an administrative change, and it should be a pretty simple thing, but it still requires a modification to the contract. The government really doesn't bear any risk from name changes, where novations are a change in the legal entity that's responsible for the contract that could introduce some risk. Sounds simple when you describe it that way. So why is this so important? It's important to know the difference between name changes and novations. Just because 
a company is acquired by a com- another company, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a novation. It, it, like I just said, novation is a transfer of the legal obligations, and a name change is just administrative. So to give a horrible analogy here, let's talk pro basketball. There was a player, there still is a player, his given name was Ron Artest, and Ron was well known for causing trouble on the court, involved in some of, some of the high-profile on-court fights. Pretty fun guy. But along the way, he decided to legally change his name from Ron Artest to Meta World Peace, which is funny given his history. But it just <laughs> – he still played for the same basketball team. He just called himself something else. But all of his, all of his records of how many points he had scored and how many fights he had gotten in and all that stuff – it was still linked to the same guy. He still had the same skills, abilities, all that stuff. So he just changed his name, played for the same team. If instead, one day Kobe Bryant showed up and said, hey, I'm Meta World Peace, then the team that he was playing for at the time might have had a problem with that. Well, maybe not if it was Kobe Bryant because Kobe's you know, pretty good, but... If a lousy player had showed up and said, Hey, I'm the this is this now my name is Meta World Peace, they might have a problem with that because it's a different player, a different person, a different entity is taking over the role of Ron or Meta World Peace's contract. So maybe that's a little bit strained, but this is what happens when we let you come up with the analogies. That's funny. I, I think it works. I think it works. It works, it's it works. Between, this is funny. Difference between changing the name and changing the person. Same thing, changing the name and changing the company. But I think the analogy still describes a lot of the same things, whether it's a basketball player or a company. The, the change can affect the performance of the contract. The change can affect who, who gets credit for the work that's been done. Like I'm talking past performance here. You know, so there's CPARs in the system with one company's name. And now another company's trying to take credit for, yeah, that was us. And it's it sort of was. I mean, it 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 was it was part of you. It's something you bought, but it wasn't really you at the time. It gets confusing. And lots of companies get bought or sell or so this is not uncommon. This this tends to happen, I don't know, <laughs> depending on what industry you're in. It feels like it's happening a lot. Yeah, it, it happens it, it, all the happening. time. Yeah. So the the nuance is important to understand, the difference between a novation and a name change. The best way to sum it up is just because a company was acquired by another company does not necessarily mean that there's a novation involved here. So from the outside, the exact same transaction, one company buys another, could result in many different things. One company buys another, it may not be a novation because the legal entity didn't change. It may not even be a name change if they just bought them and are running them as a wholly owned subsidiary because it's the government that company would have to notify the government of a of a change in ownership but it may not look any different it may look like the same company and if it wasn't a government contractor you may not even know that the ownership changed you might still be dealing with the the same company like you know the beer industry if you're if, if you always drank budweiser budweiser was a company they got bought by another company but you still think of it as budweiser yeah, and, and it's the the example that pops in my head is Zappos, the, the shoes uh, website. It's owned by Amazon, right? So it's the only change to us is it says Zappos and then in small print, an Amazon company. 
whether or not that's a name change or it was a partial acquisition or it's a wholly owned subsidiary, that's a whole different legal discussion. But in the government world, you kind of have to know because you have a contract with them. But yeah. we we don't see this deep into the into the, the differences between these two in the uh, in the commercial market. Right. The exact same thing I'm talking about, where it might not be innovation or a name change; it might just be a change in ownership. From the outside, something that looks exactly the same, one company bought another, could actually be innovation where the legal enti- a new legal entity is taking responsibility for the contracts. Or it could be the same legal entity, but now it's Zappos and Amazon company instead of Zappos, right? They, just the name may change, but not the responsibilities. What I'm trying to say is don't just <laughs> assume if a company is acquired yes. by another that innovation is required. Maybe a name change, maybe nothing. That is the takeaway. So why should the government care so much about this kind of stuff? It, this is another administrative nightmare, potential administrative nightmare. The one good thing the government has set up is that many times an, a, a single administration office can do a single mod, a block mod, that, that affects this, this change in legal entity or change in name across every contract that, that they have issued. If it's across a lot of different agencies – then I think maybe more agencies have to to do their own mods. Yeah, and it's it's a scale exercise. I mean, for small companies being bought with one that only have two or three contracts, it might it's simpler to do it as a onesie twosie thing. But this topic came from one of our team members who has worked at, at DCMA. This is something that he dealt with at the block level. That's you know where, where the idea for this came from. Somebody asked about it, and 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 Tim actually has the experience with it. But it can happen in lots of different uh, levels of government contracting officers. And it's important for the contracting officer who has the actual contract with the company, you know, maybe not the ACO, but it's important for that the, the contracting officer that has a contract with the company to understand that it's a change in the legal responsibility of who's going to deliver whatever you bought. And this could be a good thing, someone with a much more capability to deliver what you bought, or it could be a bad thing someone with less capability, or it may not really change anything at all in the risk for your particular contract. In theory, you may not even see the difference because it's the same people and, you know, other than the administrative side of changing some of the the contract language as far as who gets paid and what bank account and stuff like that. But they probably will keep some of the same people that are serving, that are managing your contract. So yeah, it, it can be really simple or it can be massively complicated. It depends. So part of the complication is this This probably will impact the rates that the company charges for work. And so if you have a cost-type contract with a company that's, that's purchased or a cost-type contract with a company that purchases another company, it could impact their rates. So maybe, maybe it'll cost you less, maybe it'll cost you more, but it's something that you should be aware of. So if you have a contract with multiple options – and the company that you have that contract with was acquired, you may want to assess that before you exercise the option and and use that as part of your decision-making process of whether or not you exercise that option if the situation has really changed. And this can make past performance a a real adventure. So what (laughs) I mean by that is that in the middle of a source selection, the innovation happens. Or or how about this? After the proposal is submitted, or honestly, even just during the the any part of the of the acquisition cycle, it could take a few months for this thing to, sh- to shake out, right? So 
in the middle of this process, somebody's name changes or they do innovation or something that we're talking about here. Now it's really kind of fuzzy that, okay, well, the company that was bought has the actual experience, but it's under a different name now. And how do you stitch together the CPARS records? Because it used to say Acme and now it says John's House of Consulting. And so, see what I mean? It's like it, it yeah, just crazy when it crazy when it happens in the middle of an acquisition, but it lasts for years. Like, you know, if, if usually past performance is based on recent and relevant performance, but relevant could be, you know, you've done this in the past five years. And yeah. there's cases where companies have changed hands. Their responsibility is JJ's more than once, more than in once five in years, five years, right? So then you got to trace back who actually did the work. Are any of those people still working for the company that that was acquired, or is it just the name that's out there? So it, the government needs to pay attention to that, and make sure they understand whose past performance they're really evaluating, and if it's still actually relevant to the company they're dealing with. And that can make source selections take a little bit longer. Surprise. <laughs> Okay, now let's talk about industry, why they should care, and I think some of the reasons are the same. Yeah, th- th- this can be really easy if the timing works out and it's a small acquisition and it's only a name change, you know, and, 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 or if, if, if. Or it can be hard just because the circumstances are more complicated, it's the second or third time the company's been bought, you know, and, and, and. So from industry's perspective, understand that how you can make it easier for the government by doing the things we just talked about so that you can lay out a plan for them that says, okay, here's why we're doing this. All you need to do is copy and paste this text that I've created into the document that you'd use to justify them on. <laughs> Let's keep going. Yeah, explain the story to them. Don't make them ask for all kinds of information about why the new company is a responsible contractor and can, can take on these liabilities, right? You know, or you can read the FAR and find out what kind of information is required Include that information with your request letter for for the novation. It'll go a lot faster. Remember, the government doesn't have to agree to novate. They probably will. They're going to be in a much better mood about it if you make the process (laughs) easy for them than if they have to drag it out of you. It's very important for industry to understand that when you buy a company, it transfers the good and the bad to you. You're buying their assets but also their liabilities. And the example I used from this one is one of one of our clients, one of Skyway's clients, they acquired a company and, and the joke that it was kind of a tongue in cheek thing that they said, Okay, now that we've got everything done, now we gotta really go see what we bought. Yeah, it's not a joke or tongue in cheek, I don't think. It's what happens in these things. Companies are more than happy to tell you all about the great things about their company, show you a huge pipeline of work that they're gonna win, and tell you that, oh no, there's no performance issues with any of our contracts. Now they legally have to tell you the truth on these things, but they don't have to tell you anything that you don't ask really during the whole due diligence process of acquiring another company. So you're getting the good and the bad, and you don't necessarily get to see the bad until you dig in. It might not show up for years. And what I'm talking about, there could be rate impacts. So going back a few years, the company that you bought could be overrunning or underrunning their rates. So you've, you've bought into that you may have to refund a lot of money to the government on cost-type contracts if they underran the rates. Or if they overran them, you may have to go to the customers and say, ah, now you owe us a lot more money. And then they're going to blame the acquisition for that, even though it had nothing to do with you as the buyer. Right? Yep. You're also buying into legal issues. If the company has any, any festering legal problems, that you know they have to disclose things, but sometimes things pop up. You may be buying into that and the cost and reputation hit associated with that kind of stuff. 
we already talked a ton about past performance, right? You're yep. buying all the company's past performance, good and bad. That's something to care about. Yeah, and while all this stuff is assessed, there's really a risk premium. It's factored into the overall deal because as long as you know everything going in, then it's a perfect world. But you can't know everything. And keep in mind, a lot of the times these decisions are made you know, within X number of days. Or if it's a really valuable contract, there may be four or five different companies who are, who are vying to buy this, this smaller business. And the small business isn't going to take six months to, to let you see under every rock. So th- again, these are the things I never even thought about as a contracting officer that make this stuff more complicated. Yeah, I don't want to get too deep into mergers and acquisitions here, but that's a whole good, other topic. Good to understand the basics if you're talking the differences between novations and name changes, which I think is what we're doing. So let's summarize this. Name changes are just that. It may have nothing to do with a merger or acquisition. It just may be Ron Artest deciding he wants to be called Meta World Peace in in a corporate <laughs> sense. That's funny. That's like top 5 analogies for this podcast. That was great. <laughs> I'll see if I can beat it next week. Novations are much more complex than a name change. And there is always the risk that the government may not recognize the successor in interest as a responsible party to take over that contract. I think it's a small chance that that would ever happen, but it's happened. And the big thing is to know the difference between these two and and be ready to make the case to, if you're the industry, be ready to make the case to the government team. And if you're the government Make sure you understand what you need to know to be able to approve these. And, and going back to the, the mission of this podcast is keep things moving one contract at a time, right? Well, this is one of those things that I would guarantee sometime in your career, this term is going to come up and now you won't be caught flat-footed. All right. I think that wraps it up. I'll talk it's to you later, one. Kevin. See you, Paul. That's it for this week's episode. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye.